What are the Pacers saying about their defense? How it will be different, how things could change, how it could actually help them, and what are they doing to implement it and have things be different than last year? Plus, the first-round picks practice for the first time, and Obi Toppin and Miles Turner, their fit together was discussed today, and I have some stats on that. It's all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, first of all, the NBA's back. If you're awake, it's probably already started, 9 a.m., Timberwolves, Mavs in Abu Dhabi. We are back. There's hoops. There's stuff to talk about. And in Pacerland, we're talking about training camp rolling through a lot of fun topics coming up this week the Pacers talked a lot about their defense this week what's going to be different how that's going to hopefully have them be a better defense than last year because they did have a defensive focus last year too the first round picks practice for the first time got to hear about how that experience is going for them what their impressions are from other teammates and I want to talk about the Obi Toppin plus Miles Turner fit as well as the Pacers lineup so far in camp lots to dive into today we'll start with the defense the biggest story in camp so much so that Rick Carlisle on Wednesday after many questions on media day or on Tuesday excuse me but on media day and Tuesday Rick asked was asked another defensive question he was like <laughs> uh, let's stop talking about defense and let's just play defense right and that is the big thing for the Pacers this year they're going to have to play defense 26 last year worse than that the year before they've been the 30th ranked defense after the all-star break in each of the last two seasons right clearly the defensive focus last year didn't amount to much now they were young and not a net talented defensive group they have added some talent, but they're going to have to do more than that. So what does that entail, right? Bruce Brown has been trying to instill some defensive things into the rest of this team. They're trying to change some things. What does that actually look like? Well, first of all, staff dynamics have changed. Ron Norad is gone. Jim Boylan is now officially an assistant, former head coach of the Chicago Bulls, works with Team USA sometimes, and he has been working with the defense. Now, let me be clear what I'm saying. He's not a defensive coordinator. In fact, the Pacers have ditched the coordinator model. That's something that Rick Carlisle told us when he described the staff changes in July and reiterated again this week. But he has been working with the defense. A couple of players, when asked about his involvement, have said, yeah, he was one of the most involved assistants when working with the defense. So that's one change on the defensive end is they have more people involved with a new heavily involved coach that wasn't even involved last year. Uh, the Bulls played quite unique on defense with Jim Boylan as the head coach, but we will see what that looks like with the Pacers because it sounds like they're changing their scheme in a way um, that's different, right? And um, Bruce Brown kind of described it, right? Bruce Brown, this he's he said he's learning too, right? Because the whole defense here is new to him compared to what they were doing in Denver, compared to what he's done with past teams before, and you can't just go by what you saw playing against the Pacers last year because they're changing it a little bit. Um, he said... It's more reactive than it has been before, right, to what's actually happening, to guys guarding their yard or failing to do so, and then reacting to that, making plays and things like that. And that kind of tailors to more individual defense, right? There's not a low man as often he described. He said more guys are helping out on the boards. And if you remember, Rick Carlisle had a very pointed comment about rebounding on media days. Got, we got to F and get the ball off the rim. And not only is that important for stopping possessions, right? The Pacers have not been a good rebounding team. You know, Turner average at best, most, definitely below average for a center. Uh, they played small last year, not a good rebounding team, right? 
they've got to be better in that way. And that also snowballs to help their offense. They're a good transition team. They were second in transition frequency. They can score well in those moments with Halliburton, with Shooters, with Toppin, with Brown now. But they have to get the rebound <laughs> and actually get in a transition. They're good at finding ways to play in transition without getting the board, but it's easier if you get the rebound. That is the easiest way to play in transition. They've got to do that. So that's some of the tweaks that we heard from Bruce Brown about the lo- the shift in low man philosophy, more reactive, more help on the boards. Um, but the emphasis truly is just on stopping your guy, right? That's something the Pacers said a lot last year, but part of it this year is the guard your yard philosophy is back and in full force and being discussed a lot. And that was their biggest problem, right? Clearly, Miles Turner was cleaning up everybody's mistakes. Guys are getting beat on the perimeter all the time or they weren't shifting around correctly to help or their closeouts were bad or a combination of all of those things and everybody could get to the rim whenever they wanted. And it's not even that teams like just piled in from the rim against the Pacers, although they kind of did. But Turner was down there to deter some of those. But if Turner's rotating, someone else is open or a three-point shooter is open or just any sort of spray out pass is open. Like it all stemmed from that beat on the perimeter, something the Pacers are doing to both improve individual skills on offense and defense is they've been doing these one-on-one tournaments at practice. We don't get a ton of insight into the why. Uh, some of it is the defensive improvement. Some of it's that guys like one-on-one. Uh, Benedict Mathern was in the finals the first day of it. Obi Toppin was in the finals the second day of it. But what we don't know is anything else. <laughs> no one would tell us who the other finalists were, who actually won. If you ask me to name the best one-on-one players on the Pacers, those two would have been in my top five, as well as Tyrese Halberton. I'd have to think about my full list. So it's not surprising they made the finals of whatever the tournament is. But that is an interesting way for them to add pride into it in that kind of setting and reinforce you got to guard your yard like this. When your man has the ball, you've got to shut him down. And so doing well in these drills is at least an encouraging sign of how the Pacers are trying to tweak things defensively internally. Neesmith, uh, Aaron Neesmith is asked about the defense as well. He was, you know, he kind of lit up when asked about if he thinks the changes are positive schematically on defense. Yes, he said, none of them will get anything too specific. They're going to get scouted. They're just going to play differently. Um, Neesmith said that he kind of described the Pacers' defensive changes as what they're trying to eliminate is different. The shots they're actually trying to prevent from happening or the, the, the areas they're trying to prevent opponents from getting to have changed from last year, right? That would be a difference in philosophy completely. I would like to dig in more on that. Uh, I haven't been able to yet, but I think that is really interesting. I'll be curious what that actually means. Like every team wants to keep guys out of the paint. Is there something else to it? Are they inviting certain types of threes? Are they inviting other certain types of shots? What is that actually going to look like with their personnel? Um, but you know, when you're forcing different shots, that will make you play differently. So I'll be curious what that looks like. Neesmith, I think, is going to be given what given these changes that I've talked about so far, and what we've heard the Pacers say about how their defense could change. Neesmith seems like kind of a key piece to all this, right? He can guard effectively on the ball. He is good at preventing guys from getting to their spots because he's strong. He's got good foot speed. He doesn't quit on plays. Like to me, a lot of the stuff that it sounds like they're going to try to be a little bit better at. He's already kind of good at. So he seems like a key piece to this team defensively. Uh, I, the more time passes, the more I think he's he should be a guy that pl- I already think he should be in the rotation. But I'm close to saying like if I were in charge, he'd be almost a lock to play and I would build out from there. Um, I just wanted to throw that in. But his comments were, of course, insightful on how they're changing defensively there. Miles Turner, of course, the defensive leader and anchor who's been a part of and the best defender on two top six defenses in the NBA. Um, he, of course, he always does this, and I appreciate this from him. And I think there is a lot to this. 
but one of the he he wouldn't get into the schematic shifts too much but he said effort is of course the biggest thing they have to change defensively that answer always hits me in two ways one like yes okay improve your effort that's good but two like that's almost should be a given and if effort is the reason you're not playing as well as you should that's a problem in its own way so i'll be curious if that could be something that happens all the time conditioning is an element to that as matherin's admitted but again you know, seeing a team in shape and giving it all on every possession should be as close to a given as possible. That was one of Nate McMillan's strengths as head coach. Miles didn't describe the shifts in their defensive scheme as, as he said, it's not dramatic, right? They're, they're, it's going to be different, but not so much so that it looks like a different team. Like it was like McMillan to Bjorkren, totally dramatic, different stuff, right? Like I still think the Pacers will switch a lot and I still think they'll try to prevent middle drives as much as they can, but you know, it, there are different ways to do it. There are different emphases. That's a word. I think um, there are different things you can emphasize and Miles Turner can still be back there to clean up the messes. So that's everything we've heard about the Pacers' defensive changes so far. Obviously, come Sunday, it'll be a lot easier to talk about it because we'll see it in a game uh, against the Grizzlies team that has some shooters and has some attackers and has some tough guys to defend. But uh, it's been really interesting to hear all of these like little bits and pieces more from every single player to get the whole picture, right? What everyone, everyone has given like part of the change, but not the whole picture. But we can piece together a lot from everybody to kind of put together how the Pacers could defend differently this year. And if they don't defend, well, and and to be clear, given their talent level, I still think they'll be a bottom 12, 10 defense this year, right? My official number when Caitlin and I talked was like 21 or 20, but they have to be better. They can't lip service it again. I mean, they shouldn't lip service it any year, uh, but they have to be better. They have to get better on the end of the floor. They've admitted it. They can score with anybody. They've got to defend if they want to make the postseason. It's going to be vital to see those changes for the team and if not more conversation tap tap about how they can get better defensively and what changes they need to make once again let's talk about some other stuff we've gotten out of camp including the ob top and miles turner fit rookies first day the starters and other lineup stuff as we continue with today's show before we dive into that though i want to really quickly talk to you guys about bird dogs one of my favorite companies to talk about i have uh, four pairs of their shorts and one pair of their pants. So what exactly is Bird Dogs? They're stretch khaki shorts and pants, and they're designed to fit slimmer through your thigh and legs to give you a sculpted look. Their shorts are the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit a lot better, right? They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of like a stiff, restricting cotton. Um, they don't. They got rid of that issue. They invented their own cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but it stretches, so you get that slimmer fit without having to sacrifice any movement. They have their own anti-stink sweat wicking fabric, keeps you cool and dry all day long. I warm around New York City for multiple days, didn't sweat. They were comfy. You can do them. I've worn them golfing before. Uh, I wore them to the pool in my parents' neighborhood before. Lots of functional reasons and uses for them. They're my favorite shorts. you got to try them yourself. Uh, go check them out. Birddogs.com is the way to go. And you get a free gift water bottle. I have a hat back there. I have a tumbler. You can also get a free gift water bottle with your purchase now if you enter the promo code LOCKDOWNNBA when you check out at bird dogs that's birddogs.com slash lockdown nba for a free water bottle at checkout you won't want to take your bird dogs off i can promise you that thank you as always for making lockdown pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen lockdown sixers for james harden not making a scene on day one of camp or lockdown suns for a team that had a happy-go-lucky media day and is going to be really interesting this season brendan clean will have the latest from the valley let's continue through pacer land in Segment two here, where we're going to talk about the first round picks, their first practice for Ben Shepard and Jarris Walker. First of all, uh, if you want more on a fun story, 
if you missed it, last week, I believe Friday, it might have been Thursday, the Pacers were in Nashville last week for a little team minicamp. And there's a great video uh, on Tyrese Halburn's Instagram story. They went out to dinner, and Jarris Walker got the bill. Rookie duties. <laughs> uh, he's, he said, I'm sweating when he was holding it. little under $9,000 bill. Uh, it was fun to ask him about that experience. I have a story on it up on Pacers SI if you want to read more about it. And Oscar Shibway saying, I will run to the bathroom and leave <laughs> to avoid the bill. Pacers are, do a good job of balancing the rookie duties and not taking it too far. Like the popcorn and Cassius Stanley's car was funny. Saran wrapping Matherin's car last year. It's good stuff. Anyway, first practice for Ben Shepard and Jarris Walker on Tuesday. Of course, seeing how they stand out is going to be interesting. The The first thing I would note is, and I think this is smart by the Pacers, they were in the same lineup, Shepard and Walker were that day. We'll talk more about lineups later. Don't react to that in any sort of way as it comes to the rotation. I'll explain why later. But this is something I learned covering the fever, actually. The fever... Two years ago, uh, my second year on the beat with them, uh, had eight players at one time on the team, I believe. Might have been seven. Either way, who were rookies. Over half their team was rookies. And a lot of value from that came because like, they'd be playing together, scrimmaging together. And a player would ask a question. And a different player on the team, who didn't even think of that thing that was being asked about, benefited from getting that information and hearing the question. Like That was good for everybody to have them kind of combined and in units together and so for walker and shepherd if they're together if they have a question or they need resource from somebody well having them together they can both get the information and find that out uh jara said he was work came in early at practice got some tips from buddy healed he has been working with miles turner uh under one of the baskets uh after practice and the part that we can actually see man are they throwing down some lobs on that basket uh, but yeah their first practice this week Ben Shepard said it felt like Christmas Eve the day before. <laughs> he was a little anxious driving over. But it's uh, it's NBA time for these guys. And uh, they actually described something interesting, that they felt like they had a head start on a lot of what the Pacers are doing, especially defensively because of Summer League, right? They, you could see uh, Kalen Cooper, who's been on this show quite often, friend of the pod, and wrote a great piece about this on her Patreon, like the changes in the Pacers' defense at Summer League as being some of the stuff they could try this season. Well, it seems like that's definitely the case now, given what the rookies have said and given how the defense has been talked about. So if you want a very insightful look into the Pacers' new league defense, Caitlin can help you there. Um, but the rookies had, like, they knew the terminology for the defense a little bit better right away. They've done it before, so that, that helped them with confidence. And that's a good part of the new rookie experience, right? Something Rick Carlisle talked about is, for rookies now, like their whole summer's planned out from when they're drafted, or like more so than it's ever been before, and it gets better and better every year. So they know what to expect when they show up in terms of what what's expected of them, what they're going to do, all sorts of stuff. So uh, they felt like they had a head start in that way. I think that made them comfortable. But a lot of the stuff that they did um, was impressive, and them overlapping, I think, on the same unit. Makes a lot of sense. Rick Carlisle said going through these practices and all this stuff is, is super valuable. Uh, and he liked their enthusiasm in practice, number one. But this was funny from Ben Shepard. I asked him if anything I asked him if anything surprised him uh, or stood out to him that he didn't maybe expect from his first NBA practice. And he said, well, uh, having Coach Carlisle out there actually was something that threw him off. Because in summer league practices, like Rick was around. We talked to him after the first one. But he wasn't standing on the court or like providing a ton of instruction, at least by all accounts. That was the staff that was running that team, right? General Pargo and the assistants. So now Rick's standing there, and he's providing instruction. And Shepard said uh, he, he was his intensity 
was what stood out there. Uh, no, he said it was a little intimidating at first, but he figured it out. He got it all going. Uh, and Miles Turner, of course, of the rookies said, there's a learning curve, but I like the energy that I saw. So, in general, a good start for those guys. Their unit, they described, they, they said four of the same five players, right? Jairus Walker said the lineup he played with on day one was Andrew Nemhard, uh, Ben Shepard, Jordan Wara, Jairus Walker, Daniel Tice, right? Makes sense as a bench group. And then Ben Shepard said his group was Andrew Nemhard, Ben Shepard, Daniel Tice, Jairus Walker, four of the five the same. And he said Bruce Brown. And I went, hmm, that's different. Um, and I think that Jairus is correct. And there was just a slip there from Shepard because, and this is the second thing I want to talk about here before we get to the top and stuff to close out today's show. When I asked Bruce Brown what lineup he worked with, uh, on Tuesday, he said he worked with Halberton and Toppin and Turner and Matherin. Sure sounds like the starting five to me. Now, don't read in the lineup. First, before we get going, do not read in the lineup too much in camp. Teams mix and match. They're exploring combinations. There's competition. They have to explore lots of stuff. That's sad. <laughs> That group uh, wearing the same jersey colors that day, I think being together is like exploring the starting five for day one of camp. So it sounds like that was at least the day one starting five. And then the bench groups were mixed and matched with various combos of young guys and vets, right? If you can just do reduction backwards from the rookie lineup, that means the other group had TJ McConnell and Aaron Neesmith and Buddy Heald and one of the other backup fives and... I don't know who would be at the four for that group. I'm blanking. Maybe both back other of the young bigs were the front court for that group. Actually, that is probably it. It was probably McConnell, Heald, Neesmith, Jackson, Smith was the fifth group, right? So, like, both reserve groups had some guys who are expected to be a, a part of the bench and some guys who are expected to maybe not be. And I like I like that mixing and matching. In fact, I am guessing that the starters will not permanently be together for every day of camp. Uh, just using my eyeballs, too. It's a little over-guessing. So... We've seen, we've heard that the starting group at least one day was what it was expected to be, but also the Pacers with their reserve groups and probably their whole team are mixing and matching somewhat to figure out fit, to figure out who should be getting these minutes at various positions. I think that's a smart way to do things. And then we'll find out what they really think of the rotation come Sunday with preseason game one. But the projected starting five from the summer does sound like it's going to be the starting five. And I think Isaiah Wong's been sneaking into stuff uh, with. TJ McConnell, of course, having that ankle thing, although it looked like he practiced more from just from pictures. Uh, it looked like he practiced more on Wednesday than he did on Tuesday. Again, he's dealing with a little bit of an ankle thing, and that's why Andrew Nimhart's getting some more ball handling reps, which is good either way. So uh, a small benefit of that for the Pacers. One more segment here today. I want to talk about the Obi Toppin Miles Turner front court because I did a story on it and because, boy, do I have a stat about Obi Toppin that's going to blow your mind. It blew my mind. Uh, and I, I actually had to triple check it because I thought when I posted it, it was going to be wrong because of how surprising it was to me. We'll get to that to close out today's show. Before we do that, though, I need to talk to you guys about FanDuel. The NFL, it's rolling. The Colts, Anthony Richardson, they're fascinating. Week five coming up. Snap into the NFL action this season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers on FanDuel get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. When you place a $5 bet, that's it. $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now with the NFL rolling. You can do all the fun stuff there, the spreads, 
the player props. They have a wide range of betting options. They've got the over-unders. So check it out. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season and get that offer. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, Lockdown Clippers should be the way to go. Clippers camp in Hawaii. Darian Vaziri will have the latest on the Clippers, the policy about resting, what the team is saying about that. And they're just a fascinating team to me this year. They did not make a lot of changes after their first round exit last season. What is up with the Clippers? Check out Lockdown Clippers for more. Let's close out today's show with the Obi Toppin-Miles-Turner combo. Uh, we talked a lot about Obi Toppin this summer and his fit with Halliburton and his fit with the Pacers. I want to talk about a different fit for him, and that's his fit in the front court next to one Miles Turner. So here's what got me going on this. First of all, I asked uh, Miles about his fit with Obi at practice Tuesday, but I, want, I said I want to do more on this, so I dove into some numbers. Obi Toppin has played just under 3,000 minutes in his career, which, first of all, that blew my mind. That is that low. He's played less than 1,000 minutes per season of his career. Um he has played 3,000 minutes of his career. Five centers with the Knicks overlapped with Obi Toppin for more than 100 minutes in that stretch. Five centers, right? Those five guys were Taj Gibson, Isaiah Hartenstein, Mitchell Robinson, Jericho Sims, and Nerlens Noel. Those five centers, again, played more than, a, than 100 minutes with Obi Toppin with the Knicks across three seasons of time. In total... Those five big men in nearly 3,000 minutes of action hit a combined eight threes. That's it. (laughs) And seven of them were Taj Gibson, who I don't even consider a shooter at all. One of them was Isaiah Hartenstein, who was one for 11. Uh, Jericho Sims and Mitchell Robinson, not only did they make zero, they didn't even take a three. And Nerlens Noel was 0 for 1. So you can do the math pretty quickly. Uh, Eight for 28 was... The partnership for Toppin centers his whole career. That blew my mind. Both that that number was eight threes in almost 3,000 minutes and that the attempts number was 28. So this really wanted, made me want to dive in on the Toppin-Turner pairing because that is totally different. Turner made 93 threes last season himself. He's been well over 30% his whole career. 35.5%, I believe, is his career number. Like That dynamic is totally different. For someone like Toppin, like I know I've talked about the spacing before and how Mitchell Robinson can be different. Also, Taj Gibson is his most common center partner, not Mitchell Robinson. Either way, not a ton of spacing there. I actually jokingly said, like, what do you think it will be easier for you with more spacing? You've never played with a floor spacing big man. That wasn't exactly how I said it. And he said, hey, hey, Taj Gibson could space the floor a bit. And I laughed. I thought he was kind of kidding. But Taj Gibson playing with Obi Toppin was 7 for 16 from 3. That's over 40%. Good for Taj Gibson. Um, But this is a new dynamic for Obi Toppin completely. Mostly even on attempts. Miles Turner is going to take 28 threes playing with Obi Toppin by Thanksgiving. Probably before that. Right? So that new dynamic, I think, is going to go a long way in making Toppin look effective in a, a different way, but still a way like We've talked about with Halliburton and the transition game, right? Everything about Toppin's fit with the Pacers and his opportunity is just better for him. With the Knicks, he was behind Julius Randle, which makes sense. None of this is a knock on the Knicks. Let me be clear. They've had quite a successful three years with Obi Toppin on their team. They won a playoff round last year. They have two all-stars on their team, two all-star level talents on their team, right? Being behind Julius Randle is not a bad thing. Julius Randle's really good. He was an all-NBA level player, right? Mitchell Robinson's a good fit for them. He's been a great defensive center. He scoops up the boards. He kicked Jared Allen's butt in the first round this past year, right? It makes sense why he wasn't playing that much 
with the Knicks. It also makes sense why they play the way they play. Tibbs has his style. It worked for them. So I'm not saying the Knicks did something wrong. I am saying that Obi Toppin is going to play a lot more with the Pacers. He's not behind Julius Randle. He might start. I, I, My guess is he will start and play at least half of every game. He also is playing with Tyrese Halbert, the best passer he's ever played with, someone who also thrives in the open floor where Obi Toppin is at his best, right, uh, and can set him up from everywhere. In fact, I asked Obi Toppin, what do you think your best skills are in the half court? Because we've, we, we've talked a lot about his transition game all summer. Rightfully so. He's a beast in the open floor. But what do you think you do well in the half court? And the first thing he said was cutting. And I think that will pair well with Halbert and what he does and how he gets guys open. He also talked about you know vertical spacing and finishing around the rim and all that. Um, and we, we, you know, the fit with Halbert's better. The minutes are better. But the fit in the front court has not been discussed that much. And I think it should be because it makes a lot of sense, right? Miles Turner said, Obi can shoot. Obi can spread the defense out. But he can also put pressure on the rim with lobs and that type of stuff where I can space and shoot. So it should be a natural fit. Rick Carlisle, uh, first of all, talking about Obi Toppin, said he can run like a deer. And that's one of the things in draft scouting for me that always stands out when big men can run like, I always use the animal gazelle, but same concept. Um, and even Rick Carlisle said today, has a very great opportunity here. Um, something they've been working on and something Rick talked about was for Obi, since he's so tall and a word Rick used, angular, when, when Obi Toppin's running, it's harder for him to stop and get his balance for shooting. They've been working on that a little bit. But in terms of they're fit together. Um, Rick Carlisle said, it's a real asset to have two bigs, four and five, that can both shoot the three ball so easily. Both are very good runners and rim runners, so we can put early pressure on the rim, exactly what Tyrese Halliburton likes to do. So I think that partnership is going to work out really well. They can both shoot, and critically, we'll see with Toppin. Two years at 30%, last year at 34.4%. If he's the 34.4% guy, that's huge for the Pacers. Because then, they, like I posted a video of this and I wrote it in the How Obi Topic Can Help the Pacers story. If he can run guys off the line with his athleticism, that is significant. Turner got a lot better at that last year too. So then they both become a lot harder to guard as shooters and perimeter players. Fascinating stuff. Um, Obi, when, when discussing their fit together, he said, Miles, he does a lot defensively and offensively. Him being able to stretch the floor, pop out to the perimeter, allows me to be in the paint a little bit, right? Kind of what I talked about with the Knicks guys. Toppin did not roll very much in New York, right? When Caitlin and I did our podcast previewing his season, his number was like less than 20 pick and rolls with the Knicks last season. It might have been with the Knicks ever. I can't remember. You'll have to go back and listen to that. He said, uh, Obi also said, use my athleticism. If I roll, he pops type of thing. I feel like me and Miles will be pretty good together. Uh, I agree. And I have not, I had not thought a lot about what they'll look like together because, you know, in theory, if one of them is screening and the other one isn't, you know, you're relying on the other one who isn't setting the screen or making a play with the ball to space the floor or cut. And we've seen that Turner can do that well. We don't know what that looks like for Toppin in this setting or if they're going to get in each other's way or if they're going to be taking screening reps from each other and what the most optimal way for that to work is. So, like, there's been questions, but like, when I saw that eight for 28, it kind of clicked in my head just like how much different that is for Obi Toppin. And that's a half-court thing. That is not a transition thing. That's not just a Tyrese Halberton is, is awesome and can set him up and make his life easier thing. That is Obi Toppin has a better situation thing. And I think there's a chance that he looks better just naturally from a lot of these things. Everything has kind of gone his way. This is a great fresh start for him. And I think this is about the best fit possible for him in the league. So we'll learn a lot 
about Obi Toppin this year and his true talent level, right? If in this situation he can't totally pop, he could still be a good player. This isn't to say that like he'll be a failure or anything, but like this is the situation for him to explode. We'll see if he actually does. But I really wanted to dive into that and get the inside of Carlisle Toppin and, of course, Miles Turner. See how they all fit together. Pacers will finally have some size at the four with Toppin and Walker. Tomorrow here on Locked On Pacers, we're previewing the preseason. Somehow it's already time to do that. Um, so Friday's show, we'll be looking ahead at, of course, their Sunday game against uh, Memphis and the whole preseason, what to watch for, lineups, you know, certain players' performance, just stuff we'll learn about this Pacers team in these four tune-up games. And next week, we'll be breaking those games down. We'll be talking more about what the Pacers are saying and doing, looking ahead at their future games, asking questions about their veteran players. Lots of fun stuff coming and planned here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Rhett Bauer will be joining us tomorrow, and he'll be doing one of our shows just before the season from a season preview perspective. So lots of fun stuff coming here on the show. Let me know if there's anything you want to hear about from practice by either commenting below if you're watching on YouTube or tweeting at me or Xing or whatever. Uh, I'm on there at Tony R. East. This show is at Locked on Pacers. Thank you all a ton for listening today. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll see you soon.